Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Hey, every now and then, well, if you don't know me, my name's Heidi Bolt, and I'm part of the leadership team here at Church 214. It's one of my favorite gigs in the whole world. But every now and then, I um, struggle between this really great tension of what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do and what the Heidi Spirit is leading me to do. Anyone else ever struggle between that spirit of self and the spirit of the Holy Spirit? Anyone? Okay, good. Some spiritual giants struggle with it, so I'm not alone. This is good. This is good. So um, we're in this series called Tension, okay? And um, we're talking about some of the conflicting ideas in Bible that make you go, huh? That doesn't, that seems like there's a lot of tension there. So one of my favorite things in all of the world to do, literally all of the world, is to preach God's word. I love it. And I specifically love it if it's a really fun topic where you guys laugh a lot, I have fun, We all have a good chuckle. We go home feeling really encouraged and uplifted. And so I tried really hard to convince the Holy Spirit to give me one of those messages. And um, he and I have this pretty vivid relationship, and we talk a lot. And sometimes he's probably like, oh, guys, it's Heidi again. Here we go. Um, But I thought I would just like key you into the kind of conversations the Holy Spirit and I have. It's sort of like a friend that I just text. And I wanted to show you what it was like when I was trying to convince the Holy Spirit for a fun message for this series. So for the sake of the podcast, I basically asked the Holy Spirit for a fun topic when he asked me, we are talking about tension, correct? And then he said, I'm downloading my message to you. I basically asked if Chris Taves could preach instead. He said no. And so I just gave him the grimace emoji. How many of you love the grimace emoji? I feel like it fits so many scenarios of life. You know, in the um, Emojipedia, the grimace emoji is supposed to be used when an unfavorable situation has arisen. And that's sort of how I feel today about today's message. And so I bet y'all are super pumped for this message today, aren't you? I can tell by your faces. You're like, I think we got to go. But hey, here's the deal. You guys are my spiritual family. Some of you are my physical family, but you're all my spiritual family. And I just want to be honest with you. I've never not wanted to preach, ever. I've preached under some hard situations. I've preached when I was supposed to be on bed rest. I've preached with broken ribs, which was awful. I couldn't breathe, but I made it. And this is the first time that I've actually not wanted to preach. And I think the reason why is because I know today's topic is going to probably be pretty personal and maybe convicting for about 99.9% of us in the room. And those are hard messages to give. And even harder messages are when you have to personally be super vulnerable in front of your people. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. And I think the reason I really struggled is because I think some of you probably feel like right now you're kind of like face down on hell's floor, like kissing the ground right now. And the enemy is jumping up and back, up and down on your back, just beating the crap out of you. Rochelle, I used your word. That's your word when you preach. I know. You're like the dirt of hell is just choking you to death. So for me personally, I'm going to open up in this message and I'm going to talk about some failures that I've had in my life because I think that God can help redeem some hard 
hard things in your life by me being honest with you. And for me, God has allowed even my failures to help strengthen my armor. Okay, so we're going to just be really real here today. Are you guys okay with that? Okay. Today's message is titled, The Tension of Self and Spirit, Society and Scripture. So before I launch into the biblical text, I usually love to jump right in, but I've got to tell you part of my story so that you have context and so you understand why I preach this with really great conviction and with a lot of compassion. It's important that you know the love that's coming through in this story so that you can hear my heart in it. So I was raised in literally the most loving family I can ever imagine. I have six siblings who I would give my life for. I love them relentlessly, maybe annoyingly sometimes. Um, Isaac is laughing at me. He is my brother. But um, looking back now, I'm a parent, and I see how many sacrifices my parents made for my siblings and I. They were vast. One of the key ones is that my mom chose to leave a career and to take all seven of us through a journey of homeschooling. And um, that is a lot. I homeschool my little guys now, and it is a huge sacrifice. So now that I'm a mom, I get those sacrifices. Part of our home education was really biblical-based. And so we were taught the importance of things like standing alone, about, you know, like that whole concept of swim upstream because probably the, the way of the crowd is probably not the, the right way. And so for the most part, I did toe the line of those ideas pretty well and with a really happy heart for the most part. Um, I've always been really sure of who I am in Jesus, and a lot of that is because of the truth that was spoken over me in our home. Part of our home education process is that we had the opportunity to be in apprenticeship opportunities for ministry. And so all of my high school years from super young, I got to travel all over the United States and even out of the country some to help lead these seminars for children to teach kids about God's love. And it was literally the most, the thing I was the most passionate about in life. Nothing could have trumped it. And I loved it. But the thing about this ministry is that it was very strict. It had a very high standard, and a lot of times they focused more on the appearance of a person instead of the heart of a person. And the interesting thing about this ministry is that um, I had some older siblings who were staff members of this ministry. And so, you know, they really were able to toe the line of the expectation. And for some reason, I never fit the bill for this ministry. Now, I served in it, but I was always seen as maybe not good enough. And I didn't quite understand that because I really had a pure heart in it. So our attire for these ministry weeks were these white pressed shirts, long navy skirts, and it was very strict. So the Bible teaching and the character teaching was incredibly profound, but it was led with a lot of legalism and there was a lot of bondage. And so I wanna give you a couple examples of how I personally felt like I didn't fit in. Um, one time, my brother and I were serving at the Indianapolis Training Center for this ministry, and I, in the morning, in the breakfast line, I ran into a very close family friend of ours who I hadn't seen in a couple of years. He was by far the shyest boy on the entire campus. His name was Patrick. And so the girls were on one side of the table and the guys on the other so that we wouldn't touch, you know? And um, so I'm getting my food, and I said, Hey, good morning, Patrick. How are you? Now, heaven forbid, I did not touch him or hug him. There was no side hugging. None of that. None of that. But a few minutes later, we were both called to the office. We were told, pack your bags. You're going home for flirting. And I was so super crushed. 
because my greeting was just this pure act of wanting him to be seen. Because God's given me this gift to be able to see people and to help them feel like they're valued. And so I was wanting him to not sit in his shy state. I was wanting to help draw him out. And had it not been for my older brother that week who literally defended our character and asked for an exception to be made, we would have gone home. So we stayed, but my heart in that set, in that setting was so tainted and so broken. And then um, fast forward a little bit, a couple months or maybe a year later, I was in my navy skirt and my white shirt, and um, my ankles were not showing. But I chose to wear a scarf that day, which was not against the rules. I wore a white scarf with navy flowers and lime green flowers, and at the time it was very, very trendy. Um, this was like eons ago. But again, I got called in by leadership and told, hey, you have this rebellious heart. You're trying to draw attention to yourself. And I was just wrecked. Like it really, really crushed me. Because these leaders in my life just didn't get my heart. They were misinterpreting my actions. And I actually wanted to toe the line. Um, and the crazy thing is back home with my normal Christian friends who went to normal Christian schools and normal public schools, I was actually called the godly goody because all of the parents of my friends wanted me to give them counsel and advice. And all of my friends would come to me and be like, what does the Bible say about this? And this is too hard and I hate this. And I was the good girl in that setting. But I felt like, you know, like my friends would joke like, we're the world and you're not. So I felt like the world says I was too good but the ministry setting said I wasn't good enough. And it was this really hard tension between the world and the standards of the Bible and the leadership that was over me. And I want you to hear this. This was not something that I felt from my parents. Um, it, this was something that were people outside of our home. And so that was a hard, that was a hard thing. But I, I clearly remember through that, the tension of self and spirit starting to be pulled big time. And the interesting thing, and here's where it gets vulnerable, guys. So give me grace. Okay, I'm not perfect. Um, there was one voice in that strict ministry setting whose family was really important. And so he kind of had a free pass. And his voice was really valuable to me. And he told me that I was more than enough. And he's like, girl, it's, they just don't get you. Like, just, it's okay. And so through a series of events, I made the decision to step into sexual sin with him. A guy I thought I would marry, and I did not. And that is when my self-will and the Spirit of God started to really differ. See, I was choosing sin over Jesus. And I don't know if any of you have ever done that, but it is not a good feeling. So self started to lead me. And <clears throat> I started letting people whose voices shouldn't have mattered really lead down this path I didn't want to go. Looking back now, I can clearly see how that slowly removed conviction. It slowly removed standards. It slowly took me into a season of sin that I didn't want to be in. I need you to hear this. I am not in any way justifying my sin. I'm not blaming it on anyone else because it was just that it was my sin. But I am sharing this with you because I think sin almost always starts in really subtle ways. I think that often negative experiences cause us to start seeing things in our mind that we think are truth, but they're lies. And then there were other times, a couple times in my life where really key, important people, um, I felt really hurt by them. 
And I just really felt like I wasn't enough. And it was a toxic place to live in that setting. It was this brutal journey that I actually had to walk through hell and back to start healing from sin, from the shame I felt from not upholding the standards that my family had set, from not holding the standards that the ministry setting had set. Even if maybe they were in legalism, I was still in sin. It wasn't their fault. So I need you to fast forward in my story quite a few years, and I'm going to tell you how I started to heal. And the reason I want you to know this is because fully that when you have been healed of something, you have authority to help heal others in that area. Okay, so this is why I'm going to journey with you. And I've never told this story. No, I take this back. I told this story to a youth group at a previous church many years ago. I didn't tell any of you. So fast forward, my firstborn son, he was our third child. We'd lost two. He was in the NICU on death's door. And he was just a few days old. And we were about ready to lose him. And I remember just sleepless nights, stressful days. I remember... Um, the heaviness of my spirit. I remember the desperation of God to be near, begging him to show up. And there was a knock on my door of that hospital room. And I knew who it was because the nurse had called and said, is it okay? And it was my friend, Rochelle. Rochelle, you don't know this story. It was Rochelle. And she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here and pray while you go home and take a nap. And I'm going to stand in the gap for you and Cross and Kip. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray until you come back. So you go home and you take a nap because you need a nap. The thing is, Rochelle thought I needed a nap that day, but I had actually started to come face to face with the fact that my sin hadn't been dealt with, that I had pushed it into really back recesses and I was letting it sit there and I was letting shame lead me instead of God's grace. And so Rochelle was there to pray and I went home that day and I had to really start to fully deal with my sin. I had to confess all of it to my Savior, and I had to deal with some, with some shame. And I had to also be super honest with my husband. I had to share some things with him, lies that had kept me believing that I wasn't enough, even though I was married now, and this was many years removed. But the interesting thing is when I returned to that hospital room, I was a new creation. I was not fully healed, but the journey had started. And through my healing process, I had to let my husband just help pick me up out of some dark places. And I had to let him teach me what love looked like, what, what love acted like. Um, it was the truest form of grace and forgiveness that I have ever experienced aside from Jesus. And I started to want God's plan again, no matter what it meant. Psalm 33, 11 said, the Lord's plan stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. Very recently, I was preparing for this message, and God gave me a vision. A vision is like a picture or a short film, if you will, that the Holy Spirit gives into your mind, and it's directly from him. And the vision was this massive table, and on the table were, there was this set of large hands unrolling blueprints, and they were the plans of the Spirit, the Spirit of God. But this dark cloud came into the room, and it subtly just drifted right over the table, and it began to really subtly alter those plans. Like a super thin film was laid over the plans. And when I stepped forward and I looked, I noticed the plans had been altered. 
the original design had been altered. And I remember looking around and thinking that so few people were noticing that the plans had been altered. Church, I think that was a vision for where society is today. See, the blueprints of God have been altered, and sin is now celebrated, and few are noticing or caring. Few are standing up for it. Do you have any builders or architects or designers in the room? Let me see your hands. Don't be shy. I know, I know who you are, so I know if you're lying. We have quite a few. How many of you know that before you build, you've got to read the plans? You've got to read the blueprints, right? You've got to keep going back to them, right, Pat? Yeah? They've got to be correct. You've got to constantly be going back to the blueprints for correct construction. And church, God's blueprints for our lives have to be followed. They have to be followed. God's blueprints cannot be rewritten by society and sin. See, the master designed blueprints for your life, but when they've been altered, they are compromised, and our lives are compromised. If we're willing to follow God's plan, especially when it goes against our self-spirit, that is when God starts to get the glory. That is when we start to truly walk in God's plan and purpose, and we start to experience his grace. So this tension between self and spirit, it's not a very fun one. We have a real enemy that is at work 24-7 against us. I just felt it right down there on that front row as the enemy was like, you should not tell, like give that other message that you have in your back mind that you wanted to give. As my son is spiking a fever and I'm like, Satan, you are such a butt. We are are doing this today because you know what? I'm a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king and so we win society and scripture are at odds with the truth that we were formed in God's image. Scripture talks about the fact that we are not our own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. But here's the deal. Society teaches us the exact opposite, doesn't it? Instagram is a great tool, and I love it, but it shouts so loudly about self. You're world famous if you post great selfies with your outfit of the day. Again, not a bad thing, but it is a self mentality if we're not cautious. It's a self culture that we're living in, that we're um, literally surrounded with. And society is celebrating this and embracing it. Podcasting is something I love. I podcast, and it is the fastest growing communication platform in our day. The problem, though, is that there's a lot of people with access to podcasting without a lot of training, without a lot of spiritual maturity, and so they're getting these massive followings, and they're having voices that are speaking things that are not true. Just this week, I heard a really big podcaster shouting, self is most important. Follow your plans. No one else should get an opinion about you. But the Bible says the exact opposite. Many of you know this verse. Jeremiah 29.11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. It sounds like he has plans for us. It sounds like his opinion does matter. But society and scripture are not in sync because society is shouting self 
and, and scripture is whispering spirit. And you have to really want to hear those whispers in order to not let society and self drown them out. I'm learning daily how important it is not just to know the truth of God, not just to read God's word, which is so important, but to also talk about it. And the reason is, is because when we talk about it, when we talk about the truth, the truth does set us free and it does train our mind to actually set on things that are true. So today we're talking about sexual sin that once was in my life, and maybe some of you have struggled with it before. And guys, we've got to talk about this because it's the sin that is tripping up Christians in culture today, not just the non-believers, Christians. This is the most culture-shifting one right now, which is sexuality. Culture is literally trying to rewrite what love is. But you know what? God still spells love, G-O-D. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. The world around us and many who claim to know God are on this war path to directly oppose God's plan. His blueprint reads like this. The plan of God is that he is love and there is no darkness in him. The plans say that men and women were created in his image. The plans say that we submit to spirit instead of bowing to self. But this dark cloud of society has rewritten those plans. And now the plans are reflecting self and not spirit. And now the plans are reflecting society and not scripture. See, society says whatever you want love to be, that is love. You have that authority because you just be you, girl. Society says sexual relationship isn't just for marriage. Society says sexuality is no longer defined by male and female. Society says bow to self, worship self. Sexuality, guys, is now so complex that mental confusion is what is defining it. Maybe you know why I didn't want this message today now. This is not a fun topic. This is not a topic that gets celebrated. Probably few of you are going to tell me, that was a great word today. That's okay. This isn't about me. I do not, I'm not saying that I, I hate people that struggle with being gay or lesbian. I don't. I have many, many friends who have stepped into that lifestyle. Friends who um, I once served on church staff with who have chosen to become gay but yet still claim Jesus. And the sad part is I know many Christian people who are celebrating them for their bravery to be their true self. And I still love them so much, but my heart is deeply concerned for them. I have men I know who have left their wife and children for other men. I, I have kids who I was their kids pastor of whose moms have left them and their dad for another woman. Um, like really hard things. You know, it's easy to talk about being made in God's image of male and female when you don't know anyone that's struggling with it. It's really personal when you see the kids you've pastored being affected by it. You've got unmarried people who are exploring same-sex relationships, choosing those in place of design of man and woman, as God's plans read. Society says, you just be you. But scripture says, before you were born, I formed you. Society says his design no longer matters. But here's the thing. Surgery might physically change people and cause them to believe they are not who they were designed to believe. 
But the Bible says that we were formed in God's image, and his word says that God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we're formed in his image, we don't have the right to change who he's called us to be. You're seeing this tension that love and truth have been strongly distorted. And the reality is this. The church of Jesus, the believers of Jesus, we have to not be silent on the topic. We have to speak the truth in a really loving way. So all sexual sin is not of God, not just homosexuality. Homosexuality is not of God, but neither is sleeping with your boyfriend before marriage if you're a girl. Neither is living with your partner unmarried. That's sin. It's not in God's plan. So no matter how loud society is shouting at you about the fact that it's okay, it's not in God's plan. Lust that has turned into pornography, lust is sin. It's not God's plan. Students, if you are with your significant other and you're just not going all the way, that's not in God's plan. That is still sin. I want to be very clear. Church 214 is going to accept and love absolutely every single soul that walks into this door. We will not judge them because that's not our place. That is God's place. We will love them, but we will have to point them to the truth because the truth is what sets them free. If you were a man that was abusing your child, I would not be silent towards you. We would step in and start working on that sin. So we cannot be silent on these issues that society says like, shh, don't talk about that because you're not going to be loving. It's just not how it works, guys. We cannot be silent. Today, I'm not going to get into any conversation or debate about ranking of sin. God's word talks about sin. God's word says that all of our sin is filthy rags. God's word um, says very clearly that nothing separates us from God. But it does talk about the fact that sin has consequences. And it actually says this. It says sin, um, I want to read this. It says 1 Corinthians 6, 19, run from sexual sin for no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So while sin is sin, yes, it is, there are some sins that affect our body more than others, and they are sexual sins. So if you are a follower of Jesus, your body is where the Spirit of God resides. And this is the thing. God could have chosen a billion different ways for his Spirit to rule on earth after Jesus came, but he didn't. He chose us. He chose to put his spirit in us. And in the Old Testament, Rochelle's preached on this, Heather's preached on this, I think maybe Phil touched on it, the spirit of God would reside in the inner court of the temple, and only one person, one man, one time a year could go in and experience the presence of God, and he would have to atone for all of the sins of all of the people. And so he would go into the presence of God, but he had to be so pure and so righteous that if even an ounce of sin was within him, he would get into the inner inner court and he would drop dead because God and sin can't be in the same place. And they would have tied a rope around his waist ahead of time so that if he did drop dead, they could just pull him out because no one else could go in and get him out. So if even, I mean, talk about like tension of Nothing can separate us from God, but priests drop dead if there's sin. But this is the thing. Sin only separates us when we choose to stay in it, okay? When we've walked away from it, God gets to be 
redeem it. The Bible talks about the fact that um, God can't be in the presence of sin, and it feels so confusing because God is the God that loves us so relentlessly. Um, but the truth is that if we choose to keep walking the path of sin while we know the truth, we're walking away from God's blueprints. We're, we're no longer checking to see if the de design is correct. And it's when we finally humble ourselves and say, God, I need this forgiveness. I need this grace. I've got to step out of this shame. I want to take a seat at your at your throne of honor that you've made for me at your table of forgiveness, that is when we're able to come back to the heartbeat of Jesus. Sin also separates us from God if we choose to let it remain hidden. There is good news in today's message. Nothing can separate you from God's love. His pursuit of you is relentless. Even more than I love my siblings or my husband, or my mom when she gives me a break and lets me sleep all night long from my daughter who hasn't slept for a month. Nothing causes God to stop speaking his love over you. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, Yet even in the midst of all of these things, we triumph over them. For God has made us to be more than conquerors, and his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live in the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate me from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or our, our future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that can ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Anointed One. So guys, these negative experiences in my past had caused me to believe that I wasn't good enough, and, but it was sexual sin that caused my mind to believe I was unloved by God, by people. And because I felt unlovable, I began to truly believe that I could not feel true love. It was a really dark place to be, and I wasn't believing the truth of Romans 8. I wasn't believing I was more than a conqueror. I was staying in that shadow of shame. My brain was believing the lies. How many of you know your, lie, your, your thoughts and your feelings can lie to you? Yeah? God's word tells us to do one thing. I think many of us who are trying to be these godly believers are on this spiritual treadmill. We're trying to do all the things all the time. But God's word says do one thing daily. He says renew your mind. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. And so maybe you're thinking, I can't stop this sin, though. Well, are you renewing your mind? Are you putting truth into the pathways where lies have been sitting? Do you know that science says now the brain can be regenerated? I was geeking out over this on Friday. I had my kids at the doctor's for their well visits, and he's this awesome man of God, and we, we talked like medicine for about three minutes, and then we talked Jesus for about 45 minutes. And um, I said, 
he was talking about children and their brain development. And I said, hey, um, I need to run something by you. I'm preaching on Sunday, which he was like, that's awesome. And I said, I'm going to talk about sin, and I'm going to talk about how our minds have to be renewed. I said, is it true medically that our brains are still growing until the age of 25-ish? And he smiled, and he said, you know what? Actually, research is just now starting to show that the brain is consistently being regenerated. And I thought, man, how cool is that? Because not, not only is the word of God saying that our brain can be renewed, our mind can be renewed, science is saying it too. Okay, usually there's this great tension between science and scripture. But when science starts to come to the side of scripture, of saying like, hey, we've just learned that the brain can be renewed, it's like maybe we should have started with scripture. Yeah? But when I started to realize my mind needed renewed and I needed to start believing I was loved again, I would, I would just whisper to Jesus through shame at night and tell him all of the things that I needed renewed. And I would picture him lovingly picking me up and taking me to his spiritual OR and doing brain surgery on me and removing those negative synapses that caused me to believe I couldn't feel love, that I wasn't loved, that I wasn't worthy. And then he would begin to just put new hope and new life and new love and new truth into my brain. And as I did that, I began to eventually believe in my mind and in my heart that I could be loved, that I could love. So I would speak words of truth from God's words, like these verses, God is love, 1 John 4, 8. No power can separate me from God's love, Romans 8, 38. The Lord looks down in love, bending over heaven's balcony, looking over all of the sons and daughters. That's pretty intimate. The Lord bending over heaven's balcony to see us because he loves us. All day long, God's promises of love pour over me. And through the night, I sing his song. For my prayer to God has become my life. Psalm 42, 8. His faithful love endures forever. Psalm 107, 1. Who can ever separate me from the endless love of God? Absolutely no one. Problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. Romans 8, 35. So I did these three things really quickly as we wrap up. I did three things to heal from sin. I turned away from it and I stayed away from it. I renewed my mind with scripture over and over again. And I was honest with the people in my life that mattered, the people that spoke true love to me. I was honest with specifically my husband and he journeyed with me through this season of healing. It was not pretty. It was not fun. It was far from perfect, but it was so, so necessary. Guys, I think someone here needs today needs to know that the person God's given you, your spouse, if they love Jesus, they have supernatural ability to forgive you. The reason is because your spouse is the physical representation of Jesus and his bride and the love that Jesus has for us, for his people. And he's already told us that nothing can separate us from him, from his love. You might be sitting here and you want to vomit right now because you're currently stuck in some sexual sin and nobody knows about it. I am begging with you today, no matter how old you are, no matter your season of life, no matter your marriage or unmarried, I would ask you to please step away from it. It is critical. It is critical for you to get back to God's blueprints. 
it affects everything. You need to find people you trust and confess that sin. Speak it out loud. Tell Jesus about it. Ask for forgiveness. You might need to ask forgiveness from some people. It's super humbling. It's super hard. But the growth you are going to experience, trust me, is so worth it. It has to be done. When you do that, you're going to start to live in the freedom that Galatians 5 talks about. And I'm going to fly through this because I'm already over my time. But Galatians 5 says, let me be clear. The anointed one has set you free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. Beloved one, God has called us to live a life of freedom from the Holy Spirit. Freedom in the Holy Spirit, rather. Don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up a base of operation in the natural realm. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. For your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. So then, the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the Spirit. But when you were brought into the full freedom of the Spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the domination of the law, but you will be soaring above it. The cravings of the self-life are obvious, sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments. Maybe you're not stuck in in sexual sin, but do you ever have senseless arguments? God says that's of the self-life. Resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinion, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, all other similar behaviors. Haven't I already warned you, these, those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom realm of God, but the fruit produced by the Spirit within you is divine love in all of its vivid expression, joy that overflows, peace that subsides, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, we have already experienced crucifixion. For everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with Messiah. We must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. So may we never be arrogant or look down on one another, for each of us is an original. God's got your blueprint, and he wants you to get right back to it. He wants you to get right back to it. The reason is, is you're his original and he cannot replace you. He doesn't want to replace you. He wants you as he designed you to be fully healed, fully walking in grace and mercy and the forgiveness of who he is to you. So if you would just bow your heads for a moment, we're going to pray. Jesus, we need you here. You are love and we long to believe in your love again.
God, may we each stop bowing to self and society, God, and instead, may we believe your spirit and your scripture, Lord Jesus. And God, then may we experience, Jesus, the great power of new life that flows from your spirit when you are leading us. God, I pray that today the lies that society has put into any mind or any heart or any spirit would be broken right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray that spiritual surgery would be done on minds to remove those negative synapses. And God, that people would have the boldness to ask forgiveness, to admit they need help. God, to step away from sin and to step back into your presence, Lord Jesus. I pray that today truth would set people free. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. Over the next seven weeks, we will be sharing with you our characteristics. Characteristics are simply values. Most people have values that they stand by. Many businesses have values, and most churches also do. We have values too, we just call them characteristics. Characteristics are simply our DNA the things that guide us. The reasons the leadership team makes the decisions that they do are often based on these characteristics. For seven weeks, we will add one new characteristic each week to our podcast so that you better understand who Church 214 is and what guides us. Thank you so much for listening. So we've been sharing the characteristics of Church 214. And today I'm going to share about the characteristic of wrecked. And I'm going to read what it says on the website for wrecked. It says, we pray for hearts that break for the lost, and we will live our lives in a way that spreads the gospel. We provide outreach opportunities and a portion of our funds will always go to reaching the lost and the poor. And when I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, look at the life of Jesus. Look at the Gospels. The lost and the poor and the hurting, they were, they were pretty high on his agenda. And we see this really clearly in Matthew 25. I'm going to read verses 31 through 40 of Matthew 25. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that convicting to think that Jesus does not care what your title is? He doesn't 
care how much money is in your bank account. He's not concerned about how many Christmas cards you're sending out this year. What he wants to know is, are you allowing his love to flow through you in a way that you're having compassion on the broken and hurt and lost people right around you? Because honestly, if you're not, you're missing out. According to Matthew 25, you're going to miss out on serving Jesus himself. You're going to miss out on literally living out the gospel. In order to be wrecked for other people, you actually have to allow God to disrupt your life, to disrupt your plans, to disrupt your comfort. Because that's when we'll pause and see the hurting and broken and lost people around us. And I want to encourage you today and say this, that if you're one of the lost, if you're one of the hurting and broken people, and, I, and you feel alone, don't just stay that. Stay in that by yourself. Reach out to somebody. Come talk to me or somebody at church that you know and trust. Because the truth is, you guys, we all struggle, and we all have times of pain and grief and hurt in our lives, and we need each other. But here's the important part. Don't allow your struggles and your pain to make you believe that God can't use you right where you're at to help somebody else. Because don't we do that? In our own pain, what happens is we become blind to other people's pain, which is crazy because God actually says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. He uses us when we're weak. So I think we need to actually invite God into our own, our own pain and struggles and, and say, God, disrupt me. Disrupt me in the midst of my own pain so that I can go and be your hands and feet to somebody else who needs you. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you never leave us. And Lord, I ask today that you would begin to work in each and every heart that's here today and break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord. Let us be wrecked. Even even if our own life is a wreck, Lord, that doesn't mean that you won't wreck us for other people. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.